You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to Strange Familiars. If you've seen something strange, something paranormal, whether it's a cryptid like Bigfoot, a ghost, a UFO, or an alien, anything paranormal, or if you know of a story you think we should cover, you can email us, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back, Allison. Hi, Tim. It's hermit time. <laughs> I, think that, I think we're going to see a rise of hermits. I think hermits are coming back. I can see why. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an unappealing lifestyle at this time. I've had several people say to me offhandedly that they're just kind of done with humanity on a general level at this point. I understand how this could happen, particularly at this time period. Sure. Well, this is going to be the earliest hermit we've covered yet. And one of the earliest stories I think we've covered that actually has a lot of primary source material that you can actually find... I think that's interesting to me about this whole story is that it just sounded like BS to me when I first heard it. I was like, oh, this is just like a traditional song. Like a folk story kind yeah, of Yeah, yeah. It just sounded like a folk story. It didn't sound like something that actually happened. It sounded like, you know, an amalgamation of sort of moralizing tales, telling women to not get involved with men who deceive them into... Right. Well, that's part <laughs> of it. That's part of it. So this is the story of one William Amos Wilson, also known as the Pennsylvania Hermit. He lived in a cave not too far from here. 
And the cool thing about this is it's a cave you can visit. It's called Indian Echo Caverns. And the marks of Wilson's fire are still visible in the cave. And he kind of slept up on a ledge. We'll talk more about that later. Chad set this whole episode up. He organized it with Indian Echo Caverns for us. So I want to thank Chad. And we definitely want to thank Indian Echo Caverns, who were very, very nice to us. They gave us a private tour and gave us access to the cavern. A great tour guide, too. Mm -hmm. And Daniel was our tour guide. And we'll definitely hear more about that in a few minutes, too. Before we get going with the show, though, I do want to talk to you puppy owners out there. If you have a puppy and you need help with your puppy, you want 90 days to the perfect puppy. Puppies can be whirlwinds of destruction. They can be crazy. And if you need help getting them to calm down or help with things like potty training, fear and nervousness, barking, chewing on furniture or shoes, crate training, hyperactivity issues, leash training, and even more... You want to go to 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. You can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can help you with a relationship-based approach. They have online sources, video lessons, a secret Facebook group, and more. Let them help you understand how your dog thinks and apply proactive training methods. And very importantly, they'll teach you not just what to do, but what not to do. Again, you can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. So where do we begin with William Amos Wilson? I'm using both of his names because someplace it appears as William and someplace it appears as Amos. But uh, that was his middle name, Amos, right? Yeah, as far as I can see. I mean, the records are very spotty at that time period. It's not like when you get a census record within the past hundred years where it's a lot easier to read and there's a lot of information. It's a little more difficult to find exactly where people are. But this is entirely true, this story. It isn't just something that's a legend that's grown up around this cavern to explain why these things happened. Right. This is a real story. So we know he was born in 1762. Yes, so he and his sister are children of the Revolution. Wow, so we're going back <laughs> to the Revolutionary War era. Yeah. And he's born in Pennsylvania? Yes, they're born in Chester County, and so a lot of this takes place anywhere from Chester County, sort of the area f um, close to Hershey, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. to Chester County, and like greater Philadelphia area. They were born in East Marlboro, Chester County. I know from the articles that they often uh, take great pains to say that they were born of good parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Raised properly, but Satan got to his sister, Elizabeth Harriet. Yeah, now this story is as much about his sister as it is about him. Yeah, there's it's, she's definitely the catalyst for his hermitdom. Well, there's an old pamphlet. It's called The Pennsylvania Hermit, A Narrative of the Extraordinary Life of Amos Wilson. It was published in Philadelphia in 1839. And this would have been 18 years after he died. Yeah, so there was a, still interest in him, I think, and in the cave. So I'm just going to go ahead and read the text from this old pamphlet. It's a pretty long reading, 
but it kind of tells his life story. And then we'll come back and we'll we'll see what the papers at the time say and how they compare with what this pamphlet says that was written, like you said, 18 years after his death. The Life of Amos Wilson Amos Wilson, usually termed the Pennsylvania Hermit, whose eccentricity and seclusion from human society for 19 years has excited so much curiosity in the western part of the state, was born in Lebanon, Dauphin County, Pennsylvania, in 1774. His parents were honest and respectable, although not very wealthy. Amos was their only son, whom, at the age of 16, they apprenticed to the stone-cutting business. He was a youth of correct habits, and during his apprenticeship very deservedly respected by all who had the pleasure of his acquaintance. His countenance was of a meek and modest expression, and perfectly characteristic of a mild, affectionate temper. Indeed, he was a youth who bid fair to become not only a valuable member of society, but the support of his parents in their declining years, had it not been for the most distressing circumstance, which not only forever destroyed their peace of mind, but rendered their son apparently the most unhappy of human beings. Wilson had an only sister, but two years younger than himself, of whom he was affectionately fond. She was a young lady of amiable disposition, and not less esteemed by her acquaintance for her virtuous and unblemished character than the youth to whom she was so nearly allied. But alas, esteemed and beloved as she was in her early youth, for her love of virtue, at the age of nineteen, cruel fate doomed this deluded and unfortunate young woman to suffer an ignominious death. Deceived and shamefully seduced by a wretch, who had, with protestations of love and promise of marriage, succeeded in depriving her of all that could render her respectable in the eyes of the world. With the hopes of concealing her shame, she, in an unreflecting moment, committed a crime which by the laws of our land is punishable with death, and for which she was condemned and publicly executed. The exertions were made by a large number of the most respectable citizens of Pennsylvania to obtain a pardon for and save this young woman from an ignominious death, were perhaps beyond all example in this country, yet were unattended with success until the very day previous to that appointed for her execution. Her brother, who had been constant in his applications in her behalf, to the executive since the awful moment of her condemnation, early on the morning of that day hastened to Philadelphia, where he prostrated himself at the feet of the governor, and with entreaties stronger than we have power to express, begged that, in regard to his aged and afflicted parents, the life of their wretched daughter might be spared. The plea for mercy of the half-distracted brother, bathed in tears, was irresistible. He was successful, and without a moment's delay, with feelings that can be better imagined than described, he hastened to convey the pleasing tidings to his anxious and expectant friends. But alas, Providence seemed now to interfere, to blast his fondest hopes almost at the instant that he considered them crowned with the most happy success. An unpropitious rain, which had fallen that day, had swelled the streams of a river, which he was obliged to ford on his return to a degree as to render it impassable. For many hours he was compelled to pace the bank with bursting brain and gaze upon the rushing waters that threatened to defeat his fond expectations. At the earliest moment that a ford was practicable, he dashed through and arrived at the place of execution, just in time to see the last struggles of his unfortunate sister. He was witness but for a moment of the heart-piercing spectacle, when in a state of insensibility he fell from his horse in which situation he was conveyed by his friends to the habitation of his distressed parents. 
This was a shock too severe to be easily overcome. For many months he remained in a state of perfect delirium, and from the moment that his senses were partially restored, he declared that the wound that he received was incurable, that the world had now no pleasures for him, and that it was his determination that the remainder of his days to seclude himself from human society. In an unfrequented forest twelve miles from Harrisburg, he found a cave suitable for his purpose, which he selected as the place of his future abode. In this lonely and solitary retreat, he dwelt alone for the space of nineteen years, and was seldom visited by any one but the writer of these few particulars of his life, whom he selected as his confidential friend, and who occasionally supplied him with such necessities as his situation required. Harriet Wilson, the sister of Amos, was born in 1776. She was early educated with the utmost tenderness, and every possible care was taken to impress on her mind sentiments of virtue and religion. She was of a sprightly and affable disposition, polite in manners, and engaging in conversation. In a word, she in early age exceeded most of her sex in many of those accomplishments, which are calculated to grace and dignify the female mind. At the age of 18, Miss Wilson unfortunately became acquainted with a young man by the name of Smith, a native of Philadelphia, who, although there was nothing very attractive in his person, succeeded in ingratiating himself into the affections of this innocent and unsuspecting young lady. Her parents, aware of the impropriety of their daughter's forming too hastily an attachment for one who was yet to them a stranger, gave her advice which, had it been strictly adhered to, would have preserved her innocence, and prevented the commission of a crime which brought their gray hairs in sorrow to the grave and their daughter to a shameful death. Not until the credulous and unsuspecting Harriet, who had surrendered to her vile seducer by the repeated and solemn promise of marriage, all that could render her respectable in the eyes of the world, was it discovered that the vile author of her ruin was already married, and that his protestations of love and promises of marriage were without a shadow of sincerity. A wicked device, made use of only to enable him to effect the ruin of an innocent girl. This poor deluded female, now too late, saw her imprudence in listening to the false vows of her vile seducer, to devise means that would enable her to avoid the disgrace that her imprudent connection was likely to produce, appears now to have been her principal object, and shocking to relate, she finally formed the determination to put a period to the existence of one whom, by the laws of nature, she was bound to cherish and protect, at that very moment that it was ushered into being. And unfortunately for her, this diabolical plan she carried into effect. The body of her newborn infant was found secreted in a neighboring groove. The unfortunate Harriet was suspected and charged with being the perpetrator of the unnatural deed. On her examination, circumstances appearing against her, she was committed for trial. Such was the respectability of the unfortunate prisoner's parents and connection and such the sensibility cherished by all with whom she had been acquainted, that on the day of her trial the courtroom was early filled with more than it could conveniently contain. The trial lasted eleven hours, when the judge summed up the evidence with the utmost candor, but so strong were many circumstances against her that the jury, being fully convinced of the commission of the fact, found her guilty. During her whole trial the unhappy prisoner exhibited an uncommon degree of fortitude, and seemed more to lament the misfortunes of her wretched parents and brother, on whom she had brought disgrace, than her own fate. During her confinement in prison, before and after her condemnation, she was visited by many of the clergy and other respectable persons, who were very much interested in her behalf in consequence of her former uniform and admirable behavior. 
She exhibited many proofs of penitence and employed almost the whole of her time after her condemnation in prayer and in perusing the sacred scriptures. She entreated such of her young female friends who visited her while in prison to take warning by her fate and to be ever on their guard against the intrigues and seducing arts of the other sex. There were very great exertions made by several of the most distinguished characters in the country to obtain a pardon for this unfortunate female, but without success. She had an only brother whose grief for the wretched fate of his beloved sister bordered almost on distraction. He too was unremitting in his exertions to save her from an ignominious death, and was too unsuccessful until the very day appointed for her execution, but alas, as if doomed by heaven to suffer thus ignominiously, he did not arrive in season with the pardon to prevent the execution of the law. The day of her execution arriving, by her request a suitable prayer was made by the Reverend D. White in her apartment, and the sacrament was administered. The parting between her and her aged and afflicted parents, and many of those with whom she had been most intimately acquainted, was affecting beyond description. At half-past ten a.m., accompanied by several of the clergy, she was conveyed to the gallows. She, having taken an affectionate and farewell leave of her friends, and rather appeared disposed to impart to their comfort than to repine in consequence of her own unhappy fate. When ascending the platform, and after the fatal cord had been affixed, her countenance displayed a serenity that appeared more than human, and when she gave the signal, there was a collected gracefulness and sublimity in her manner that struck every heart and is above words or ideas. After she had been suspended nearly a minute, her hands were twice evenly and gently raised, and gradually let to fall without the least appearance of convulsive or involuntary motion, in a manner which could hardly be mistaken when interpreted as designed to signify content and resignation. At all events, independently of this circumstance, which was noticed by many, her whole conduct evidently showed from this temper of mind a composed and even cheerful submission to the views and will of heaven, a modest, unaffected submission entirely becoming her age, her sex, and her situation. In less than five minutes after the fall of the fatal drop, her brother arrived with a pardon with the governor's signature affixed. A letter directed to this unfortunate brother was deposited by his wretched sister in the hands of one Reverend Divines who attended her to be delivered to him as soon as he should return, and of which the following is a copy. My dear brother, as the awful moment has nearly arrived, in which the dreadful sentence of the law is to be executed upon me, I am confident that we shall meet no more in this world. Your failure to return yesterday at the hour you appointed satisfies me that you have again been unsuccessful in your application for a pardon, and that you wish to be as far distant as possible from the distressing scene which a numerous throng of unpitying spectators are already collecting to witness. My dear brother, I am happy to inform you that I am prepared to meet my fate and shall die penitent and in peace with the world. I trust that I have made my peace with my God, in whose presence I must shortly appear. My dear brother, the most I now suffer is from the consciousness of the disgrace and misery that I have brought on you and on my dear afflicted parents. Oh, may you endeavor all in your power to comfort them and to satisfy them that it is the will of the Almighty, and that their heavy afflictions in the decline of life may prove for their spiritual good. My dear brother, my last request is that you cherish religion, and that you hereafter try in every way to promote it among your relatives and friends. It is this that will enable me to meet my fate with fortitude and resignation. 
I never thought in the former part of my life that it was possible for me to be so weaned from earth and my dear relations, and that I could have been so content to go down to the chambers of the grave. Considerations of eternity, my dear brother, will restrain your fondness for the vain amusements of this life. It will satisfy you of the importance of adorning religion by a holy, exemplary, and blameless walk and conversation. It is in eternity, my dear brother, that we must expect again to meet, and oh, it has been my constant prayer in prison that we may all meet there in happiness. Until then, I must bid you an affectionate farewell. Harriet Wilson Thus fell an early victim to the seductive art of an unprincipled villain, the unfortunate and once beloved Harriet Wilson. The heart, not totally blunted to the sensibilities of humanity, must be so lacerated at the recital of this tale of woe as to have all other feelings extinguished but those of abhorrence for the seducer and pity for the unfortunate victim of his arts. To behold a female who, as it were but yesterday, was in all the bloom of loveliness, charming as a cloudless vernal morning, lovely as youth, beauty, and innocence could make her, doted on by her parents and brother, and idolized by all her acquaintance, now as an offender of the blackest caste, expiring on the gibbet, to appease violated justice and a public warning against future crimes, must call forth the tears of sensibility and awaken the pity of benevolence. In the sublunary world, properly called the Vale of Tears, calamities assail us on all sides. Wherever we turn our eyes, human misery is presented to the view in all her dark and imposing attitudes, and the hideous form of vice stalks uncontrolled in whatever clime we range. Man, who was originally created in the form of his maker, and once lived in innocence, peace, security, and happiness, is now, for having disobeyed the mandates of the Almighty, fallen from that blessed state, and is now surrounded with all the evils and dangers attendant on sin and misery. Satan, like a roaring lion, ranges about seeking whom he may devour, and man preys upon his fellow man. Often do we see the wicked rolling in riches and honors, while poor depressed merit is too often abandoned to poverty and scorn. The tenderness and sensibility that prevails in the minds of females subjects them to many temptations and dangers from which men are in a manner exempt. Their weakness and dependent state places their reputation on a foundation so slender that the smallest breath of wind will overturn and the slightest touch indelibly tarnish. While lordly man can sin with impunity and his most indecent deviations from modesty and virtue set down as trifling indiscretions, and oftentimes the more he sins, the more he is caressed. He can, without any scandal to himself, seduce the innocent virgin from the pass of virtue, while the unfortunate victim of his arts is expelled from society and doomed either to end her days in a brothel among the most depraved or be made a sacrifice on the altar of justice. The family of the unfortunate subject of these pages was a happy one until the intrusion of the vile seducer when the unfortunate Harriet, the victim of his wicked arts, was the hope and joy of her aged parents. But in an unsuspecting moment their hopes were blasted forever. Their gray hairs were brought in sorrow to the grave. A doting and only brother was thereby driven into a state of retirement, and during the remainder of his days lived a recluse from the society of man. My fair readers, you see by the foregoing pages the gradation of evils attendant on a departure from that dignified modesty which renders you respected and loved by the good and worthy of the other sex. A chaste and virtuous woman sits exalted on the pinnacle of excellence, 
giving rational happiness and pleasure to all within reach of her acquaintance. As a sister, she possesses the warmest affections of her brothers, and the values set upon her reputation very often prevents them from the commission of acts of folly, which precede the depravity of vice. And as a daughter, the delight of her parents and the sweet smoother of the path down the veil of life from time to eternity. But mark the contrast. I am now to depict a woman in her state of depravity, which I do with reluctance. View the scenes of dissipation and the closing resort upon the earth of those misguided females who, too credulous, lost all that rendered them dear to society by not hearkening to the suggestions of the inward monitor. Turn your attention to those houses of debauchery where vice reigns triumphant, and on whom poor mourning virtue sheds a tear of pity. She, what once was beautiful and enticing, now converted into a load of corruption. Behold the female form, disfigured by blows and nightly abuse, carrying nothing human about it, nothing but what the eye will turn from in disgust, a burden to itself, and an encumbrance on earth, and you will know how highly to prize the value of female chastity. But should your seducer not immediately forsake you, but keep you under his protection, you stand on uncertain ground, subjected, as it were, to the tyranny and caprice of a villain on whom you should depend for support, and at whose option, bound by no ties, he can cast you on the world at pleasure. Then, step by step, you fall into the current which leads to the verge of female misery. Wilson, in his dreary abode, was as comfortable as could be expected. A table, a stool, a bed of straw, and a few cooking utensils was all the furniture that his hut contained. Although he could never be persuaded to shave himself, he was in other respects very particular in keeping himself cleanly attired and his habitation free from filth. The greatest portion of his time was employed in making millstones, which were disposed of by the writer, and the proceeds expended for such necessaries as his situation required. Much of his time was, however, devoted to reading and writing, of which he was extremely fond from his youth. The Bible and other religious works were the books preferred by him, and he was always punctual in his morning and evening devotions, and repeatedly declared his strong faith in the Christian religion, adding that he felt perfectly happy and satisfied with his situation, and craved not the wealth of the rich in this world, as he sought treasure of more esteemable value in heaven, and that he envied not the appearance of earthly happiness in any man, as he believed that he had bright prospects of enjoying that which was more permanent in the life to come. Although he employed much of his time in writing, he ever refused to expose his manuscripts to the inspection of even his friend, declaring that he intended them for publication after his decease. For, as it was his determination that his fellow creatures should not receive any benefit from his society, while living, he hoped he should be enabled, at the termination of his earthly existence, to leave them a legacy, which, if attended to, might prove for their earthly as well as spiritual good. On the writer's expressing to him his surprise, one day, that he should be found so willing to exclude himself from the social enjoyments of human society, he thus replied, I live the life of my choice. I prefer being a recluse from the jars of a contending world and the mistrusts and jealousies of an ostentatious race who have already inflicted a wound which they can never heal. Retired in this lonely cell, I meet not the neglect of ungrateful friends, nor hear the taunts of children of pride. I court only the company of the divine spirit of the most holy, and the clamors of the foolish disturb not my pious meditations, nor the sneers of ignorance excite painful sensations in my peaceful breast. 
The shafts of envy, tipped with calumny, spend their force ere they reach me, and the vein of mankind may satiate themselves with folly, iniquity, and deceit, and I shall not be rendered more miserable thereby. But a few years since, this extraordinary and singular character expired in his hut, unattended by a single friend to close his eyes. His exit must have been very sudden, as he was left the evening before in tolerable health by the writer. In a corner of his cave was found a bunch of manuscripts, among which was that of which the contents of the following pages is an exact copy. We'll be back to our story of William Amos Wilson and his sister in a moment. I want to thank our patrons. Thank you so much, patrons. We could not do the show without you. Our patrons make Strange Familiars possible. If you like what we do, if you like Strange Familiars and you want to help us keep making Strange Familiars and get extra content besides, you can become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com strangefamiliars. For $3 a month, you get full extra shows. We just dropped a patron show last week on Cabinets of Curiosity. And we're going to follow this show up with a patron show. More on William Wilson and a lot more on some of the strange things that go on around the cave. And even a mystery box that was found inside the cave. So patrons will get to hear that very soon. There are different levels of support at Patreon. You can go check them all out. Again, that's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. If you'd like to make a one-time donation to help us out, you can go to the show notes at strangefamiliars.com under every episode and look for the paypal.me link. Click on that to make a donation via PayPal. Everyone can help by sharing the show on social media, by liking and subscribing wherever you're listening, and by leaving us those nice five-star reviews, which helps get the show in front of new potential listeners. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. So we heard the story as told by the pamphlet. 
And now let's go to the newspaper articles and other information from the time and we'll see uh, how things might have been a little different. So William Wilson was apprenticed to be a stonecutter. Do we know that much else about what he was doing around the time that the tragedies befell his sister? No, there's not a lot of information. I think most people who live these sort of like typical lives don't generally make the papers too often right, unless they're yeah. selling land or something. And it just, his name's very common. Yeah. And So until he became sort of extraordinary by being this hermit, there's not, not a, lot a lot of information about no. what he was doing. Mm-mm. But we do know what his sister was doing. Yes. Pennsylvania actually keeps a record of everyone that they've ever executed from the beginning of the colony to present day. I have not had an occasion to use this before, but in absolutely plain writing that says Harriet, waitress, age 27, hanged in Delaware County with the precise date, and it's entirely accurate that this happened. Like I said before, this is a story as much about Harriet Wilson as it is about William Wilson. And she goes by, sometimes she's Elizabeth and sometimes she's Harriet, and my guess is that um, that's either her middle name or she used that as as a nickname or something. So it's used interchangeably during the different stories. So these different narratives, a lot of them contradict each other. They say she has one child, they say she has twins, Mm -hmm. but you found information that said she actually had children previous to the children that were murdered. Yes, apparently she had three children out of wedlock before she met up with the the bad guy in the story Mm -hmm. and had these two illegitimate twins to him. This is a bad time to be having children out of wedlock. It's never a great time, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. but at a time when when uh, you basically become a societal outcast, outcast, I mean, yeah. yeah. It's... So, what leads to the murder of these twins? And I I think they're twins because the papers at the time are yeah, twin that's children. A, yeah, it's it's part of every pamphlet of the time. It's in all the other records as well as twins, infant mm-hmm. boys. Basically, she involves herself with a man who gives a false name. He's married. She says that he purports himself to be single, and only because of his promises of marriage is she uh, coerced into a a carnal relationship with him. A lot of these narratives talk about her living in Philadelphia and working at the Indian Queen Tavern. I don't think this is true, because that puts her basically in the most prestigious tavern at the time. Okay. This is where all most of like after all of the the goings on during the Revolutionary War, the uh, you know, at the end of the day, this is where the notable people would retreat to. So you could hang hang out with Ben Franklin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like this is where Ben Franklin hung out. I don't think this is where she hung out. <laughs> and here's a, makes for good story though. Probably people knew the name of it at the time. Yeah, and then there were other bars that copied that name and were in other places. So I think that makes for a much better story. There's also a Cross Keys Tavern, which is close to where she was actually living at the time. She was living at Cross Keys, which was uh, near Chestnut Street in Philadelphia. And there was a Cross Keys Tavern at the southwest corner of Chestnut Street and 4th. And it's actually uh, close to what is now called the DeLong Building, which I thought was interesting because the man who gives his name to her as the you know, who becomes the father of the children, his name is DeShong. Oh, interesting. So I don't know if there's... Just um, a coincidence or something more? Or something more, yeah. Mm, Interesting. What happens to these children? She tells him that 
she has these two children, shows it to him, and he agrees to meet her. Now this, I mean, if you've ever heard any folk song whatsoever, if someone tells you to meet them alone in a wood somewhere, <laughs> it's not gonna, there's either a grave lying by, or there, or you're near a river, it's not gonna end well. I mean, one of my, my absolute favorite folk songs is a very similar narrative to this called Omi Wise, and it's about a girl who gets involved with a, like a moneyed man, and he doesn't want her to have a child, and so he kills her. He drowns her in Omi Wise, I believe. Yeah, he, he drowns Omi Wise. So this is this is a very to me that I was like th- that's why I thought that this story just rang so false because it sounds so much like a folk song. So basically, she's staying at random places. She has the babies, and then in October of 1784, she meets him in the woods, and he kills the babies. He kills the babies. He kills the babies. See, some of the reports have her as as sort of a murderess. She, when she gives her explanation, which makes a lot more sense, he basically talks about how he's not going to give her any money or any legitimacy, and he just basically eliminates what he sees as a problem Oof. and kills the babies in front of her, oh. tells her to undress them, and then he kills the babies. Wow, it's brutal. Now, this happens on the road leading from Brandywine to the Turk's Head. Turk's Head is like an older term for what is present-day Westchester. So if you're familiar with Philadelphia, you can kind of follow that road out. Mm-hmm. I believe some people that were crossing through the woods with a dog found the bodies of the babies. And then it very quickly unravels because she's the only one that's been in this area that had babies and then suddenly does not have babies. And so she's brought to trial the last day of um, October in 1785. It's curious to me why the father of the children was never... Like, there's just nothing happens with him. Like, there's all this uproar. They're executing a young mother... And there's never a thought of like, hey, maybe we should find this guy who actually did it, or at least is complicit in some capacity. It's, it's, a, it's horrible. Yeah, like, so she goes and she's executed. Her sin is, is basically having children out of wedlock. Oh, absolutely. And she pays for it with her life, and he gets away with it. Wow. So we do know kind of her movements a little bit before she's imprisoned. Yeah, I mean, they're... Um, they tell you who she rented a room from on Union Street, whose house she went to, out of town, close to where the the murder happened. It's all fairly well documented. From what it sounds like to me, I'd say she's probably a tavern girl. Oh and yeah, she's working at these different taverns and probably moves as her employment requires. You know, mm-hmm. loses a job one place or gets a better offer or whatever the case may be, and and goes to the, another tavern in another place and just kind of moves around. It sounds like. Is there any information about these two children that preceded the twins? No, they're just offhandedly mentioned in her confession. It doesn't appear as if they show up as being raised by anyone else in the family. Her parents die after she does. There's no no mention of them taking the children, nor her brother. And maybe she wasn't even living with them at the time. Mm. In some accounts, um, the man's name is not Deshong, and sometimes it's just Smith. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that just made for easier sort of generic... Copy at the time. Yeah, copy. Oh, we'll just give them in a, you know, sort of a generic anonymous name. Yeah. Probably at the time they, they did want to besmirch the name of a man. Yeah. <laughs> they probably... <laughs> they wanted to protect him in case the story was false. They, they, didn't, mind, they didn't mind executing her. But... Wow. So she's imprisoned 
from the time of her trial. In October of 1784. She's imprisoned until the date of her execution, which is January 3rd, 1786. And I believe she does get a stay sometime, because I think the initial date for execution was in late December. Then she gets, like I think, a first day. It's delayed for some reason to January 3rd of 1786. And so the great tragedy of this is that her brother actually obtains a pardon at some point. And so the story goes, he arrives anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour late. In a lot of these packets of the time, it says 23 minutes. 23 minutes. They're very specific. Yes, very specific. But basically just in time to see her freshly hanged from the gallows. Wow, that's got to be brutal. I mean, there, there are stories about how it had rained and that delayed him or there was just... Yeah, like the, I think in the piece I read before, it said the river had swollen and he couldn't cross or something. And, and that but for whatever him. reason, he's even though she's protesting the whole time, basically saying that her brother is going to arrive and they just say, oh, we just can't hold it out any longer. We have to go through with this. Wow. So this was supposedly the note that was left on her table. Oh, could I but see my own brother, to speak just a few words to him, to case my broken heart that is distressed. Oh, how hard a thing it is that I cannot see him. Was he in my place and I in his, I would go to him. Was I on my hands and knees? But he will come to me, to speak one word to me before I depart this life and see man no more. So I just give myself up to the Lord, begging that he would hear my cries and give me life everlasting. So this true story of Elizabeth Wilson leads, so the legend goes, to William Wilson leaving society, retiring to a cave, and being a hermit for the rest of his life. But see, the curious thing about that is that this happens in 1786, and it says he spends the last 19 years in the cave. So it means there's some a good 15 years time when he's not in a cave and, and not being a hermit. Right. And again, he's not Ben Franklin, so we don't know his every move. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, he could have been busy being a hermit in some other capacity. It's only when he happened to fall into what becomes a pretty famous site in the area that we learn more about him. So he moves from Chester County to Hummelstown, to this cave along the Sotara Creek that we now know as Indian Echo Cavern. It's had other names throughout the years. One of which is Wilson Cavern, or Wilson Cave after him. <laughs> we were lucky enough to be given a tour of Indian Echo Cavern, a private tour. We'd been there a few times before, but thanks to Chad and Indian Echo Caverns, they gave us a private tour. And we have some audio from that. Talks about the cave and about where Wilson slept and so forth. I have to say, the natural reverb in this cave. <laughs> you want to record there every week? <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. It's I really, really like wonderful. that there's like, it's kind of soothing. You hear like just little tiny drips of the water coming off of the stalactites throughout the interview. You, you feel like you're in some sort of like subterranean. Yes. So Daniel is our host, our tour guide, and he's from Germany. So he has a bit of an accent but I think it's kind of charming. At some point, Daniel tells the story of the hermit, which we've already told here. Mm -hmm. So I kind of fade that out and then fade it back up afterwards because there's no sense in telling it twice on the podcast. Mm -hmm. You should see that uh, in the normal summertime without COVID. 
We have like six, seven school buses here, 300 kids between the uh, parking lot and between the uh, playground, so pretty interesting. So uh, down in the cave is no food allowed, chewing gum, tobacco products, vaping, drinks, candy, because there's a fragile ecosystem down there. Leads us all to a most important rule, please don't touch the formations. We have a very fragile ecosystem, as I mentioned. We have oil on our skin. You know that all, but I, you know, I had a better second time than, oh, oh you didn't tell me that. Um, we have oil on our skin, that's good for our skin, keep it moist, bad for the formations, oil and water is not mixing. If you touch them, they will be not supported by water anymore, and they need the water to grow. And over, uh, yeah, a scientific age of 400 million years, this cave became pretty beautiful, and we want to keep it beautiful as we can. Do you have any questions? Do you want to take a guess where I'm from? I'm not from Jersey. We can go this. Do this. No. Ah, okay. Not that Eastern European. Okay. More Western European. Between the Netherlands and Poland. I'm a relative of the Amish. Ah, okay. I'm German. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Came in June 2017 for a woman. Metro through online computer gaming. 2014, four, four and a half years long distance relationship, traveling back and forth. At some point I made a step, came here to America. For me it was easier to learn proper English than for her to learn proper German. That's a very tough language for uh, the most of you. Yeah, it is. I've, I took it in It's pretty interesting I when people are getting their the best school time. German out like, uh, Hello, wie geht es Ihnen? Oh. <laughs> so we are going 100 to 120 feet underground. At one point we are behind the bushes, the house with the grey roof. and. At one point we are under the padding barnyard, and at one point we are almost under your car, under the center of the parking lot. To give you a little idea what kind of dimensions are down there. You see here, all this, there was no soil or anything. The owners put the soil on and everything. You see over there, this is roofs. But over there, there is a stone. In the middle, you see everywhere stone, stone, stone. This is actually the ceiling from the cave. So there's about 40, 45 feet of rock and soil, always in between us, constructed like a cathedral, so it holds itself. If we don't dig up there, nothing will happen. Do you have any questions? I'm sure we will. Yes. <laughs> okay. I didn't do a tour since the whole COVID situation happened <laughs> because I was uh, I was a tour guide here for one and a half years, did a lot of tours, and at one point I was yeah in a little debate with the owner that some things have to change here, and normally. People fired me then. <laughs> she promoted me. <laughs> so when I'm not that fluid with the tour right now, I'm sorry. I didn't do that for about three and a half, four months. <laughs> but it's something like bicycle, driving your bicycle. Yes. You always, we'll never forget that. So just so the listeners get an idea of what we're looking at right now, we've just dropped down, would you say 72 steps? Yes, seven, 70, 71. Yeah, 71 <laughs> steps. So we came down the steps from the, basically what was a hilltop, and we're now in like almost like a glen, almost like a bowl, the hillside, and we're about, and we're looking at the entrance of the cave, which back when they made a tourist cave, they put a, a stone front and doors on it, and we're about 50 yards from the creek. So when Mr. Wilson was here, the hermit, he was obviously it was just a creek. You, this was, a, this, yeah. this stone opening that we see right now, all the all the stonework, 
This okay. was a mason who worked for the family Swartz. This was redone in the mid 50s. Gotcha. From a barn that was across the street. And before it was just a big hole in just the rock. Just a big hole in the rock. Big hole in the rock, <laughs> exactly. Which actually looks like it was pretty big. <laughs> it is bigger than, than, than you think. Like when you're going inside, you see a little bit about the arch and what you can, you get a better understanding. But when you see the IEC, yes. this is almost like the top of the entrance when you're going in. Okay. Okay. So yeah, it was quite a good size entrance. Yeah. Wasn't nothing you just squeezed into. Nothing mm -hmm. that you could not uh, probably not see when you're just passing by. Right. So this cave was probably found by coincidence, just by curiosity from humans. Right. So over there you see the Swatara Creek. The locals call this the Swati. This is merging near Middletown, about four miles from here, five miles from here, into the Susquehanna River, and this is the biggest river in Pennsylvania. The Susquehanna River had its name from a Native American tribe called the Susquehannocks. They were living here in the 1600s, right over the creek. They were living there in longhouses, about the size of the wooden fence. A lot of people are thinking everywhere Native Americans were living in tippies because we are watching a lot of movies. And uh, yeah, they were living in longhouses with 50 to 60 people. And this is, was actually yeah the thing how they uh, disappeared because when the people came over from Europe, 1600s, all this, they brought a lot of diseases, and when you're living with 50 to 60 people, there is no social distancing, as we know pretty much right now, and uh, most of them uh, died, yeah. and the rest of them, uh, the Paxton boys took care of. If you want to Google that, yeah, it's a story that's, that's, uh, that was, it's pretty bloody. Yeah, we know it was Paxton a boys, yeah. horrible thing. That I mean, not personally, them. we know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the, the tribes themselves weren't really that big. They were multiple bands. Exactly, right? exactly. And after when and the leftovers of the uh, Susquehannocks joined other tribes. As once as you get with your tribe up, there's no members anymore. Your tribe is gone. Yeah, pretty it's much. Funny because I had people here who are pretended they were Susquehannocks. So you meet a lot of interesting people here who are pretending <laughs> things you have no idea. So. I'm mentioning the Susquehannocks because we think they were the first explorers of the cave. We're not 100% sure because uh, there is no evidence that was found in the cave. But uh, yeah, 52 degrees all year long, a big opening as we talk right now about that is probably out of curiosity when they were living over there, kids are running around, people are gathering things they found. And they didn't, you didn't find anything there inside because they were not living there inside. They were just using this as shelter or storage because Native Americans are believing that their ancestors, ghosts and spirits are living in caves. So they were mostly only in the entrance and the entrance till the Indian ballroom. I will show you soon a big, big, gigantic room, the center of the cave. And that's why we didn't find anything. And the only thing that we could find, people took care of. Like in the 17, 1800s, there was a lot of plundering. A lot of people discovered everything. At some point, people were throwing, like, the first explorers were just putting kerosene on the walls, light it on fire to see something in the cave. They didn't <laughs> bother wow. with torches or little lanterns. No? A lot wow. helps a lot. <laughs> so over the years, this cave had different names, like Hummelstown Cave, as we hear right next to Hummelstown. Grotto Cave was one of the first names that was ever mentioned. And we talked about, yeah, Wilson Cave. William Wilson, known as a Pennsylvania hermit, lived from 1902 from to 18 from 1802 to 1821 in the cave. We'll talk about this a little later. This is our grand finale. All right, <laughs> all right. And uh, yeah, first time this uh, cave was opened for uh, pub for the public for tourists was in 1929 for the family Bieber. Now uh, relation to Justin, <laughs> our friend from Canada. Um, they had a pretty good year, but then 1930s, uh, Great Depression started. 
The owners went bankrupt and in 1942, the current owners, the family Swartz, developed the whole, uh, or purchased the whole uh, property and uh, yeah, third generation, they're still in charge. Awesome. So let's go inside. We have kids groups here. Like we're always making the joke, like, hey guys, what do you think IEC means? <laughs> you know, this means IEC chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are close I to Hershey. Well, yeah, eat children. <laughs> Maybe something that lived there did eat children at one time. <laughs> so we have this, every room here in this cave, we have a name. This beautiful room here called the entrance room. They were very innovative, the owners. Yeah, at some point, this is the end of the tour, and this is called then the exit. <laughs> Dual purpose. This will probably be the last thing that you will hear today because uh, from your phones or anything, because from now on, no connection is anymore uh, yeah, possible down here. Like, it's always fu funny when people are trying to uh, Facebook live stream here inside. <laughs> They're entering the cave. <laughs> connection. <also. laughs> so we have all natural colors down in the cave. Three nat unnatural colors that I want to point out with you. Down here at this wall, you can see black soot. We talked about, people made a lot of fires here inside. Behind there is a natural chimney that goes to the next room. So people were sitting here in the 1800s, 1900s, protected from shelter and, uh, from shelter and uh, protected from the elements, like storms and everything. It's constantly 52 degrees here inside. Second unnatural color is green plant life. Everywhere in the cave, you will see greenish stuff, like algae, moss, so an unnatural color is cave graffiti. Everywhere in the cave you will see this. For example, over here, cave says hi. My favorite one is back at the entrance. Over here it says, in Lebanon, by Rochel's pretzels. Anybody had a Rochel's pretzel in their life? <laughs> Probably not. This was, advertising was done 120 years ago. Oh, wow. Rochel's pretzels went out of business 115 to 117 years ago. So it's pretty interesting when kids are, I had a Rochel's pretzel. Nope, you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> and the advertising obviously didn't work. And again, <laughs> here's everywhere you see on the entrance, there's area J Rise, graffitis. I was here, please don't forget me. I think you saw public restrooms or you were on music concerts, on festivals. It's looking everywhere the same. <laughs> Over here, E. Smith didn't want us to forget him. <laughs> so before we are going further inside, please keep in mind we are underground. Seeing it gets sometimes a little lower. Not everybody of us is tall, not everybody of us is short. So please walk in the direction you're looking, okay? Normally I don't stop here, but as we are only three people and you understand now, don't touch it, because sure. otherwise you will leave these like over oh, here. This is yeah. the most, by far, the most touched formation because mm. you're coming with 25 people here inside. Mm -hmm. The last person can't resist. We are humans. I understand that, but you see how sparkly and all the you know crystals are sparkling. Over here, it doesn't look that good anymore. Right. You see all the ribbons that were created like a one after and, another. And that's from people's oil from, from their hands. This is yeah. this is a palm from a hand. Mm. Same mm. as down here. I can show you all the hot spots. <laughs> so I imagine this is like the little kid hand area. Yeah. Like I no, it's like people going just by, by like this. They want to feel yeah. how it feels. Yeah. And again, we are humans. This is how we learn. This is how we get smart. Right, right. So this here is the Indian ballroom, the biggest room in the whole cave. This is 49 feet high, 110 feet wide. This room here was created by two streams, scientifically millions of years ago. One stream coming over here, the 
Eastern Canyon, and one coming from back there, the Northern Canyon. The two streams emerged, created a giant whirlpool, washed over stone. You can see evidence of the whirlpool up here on the sea. So at some point, the whole cave was flooded. After a long period of time, water was dropping down, and then the dripping began. So again, 45, 50 feet of rock and soil. When the water is going through the rock and soil, it picks up all the minerals. This is a limestone cave. So there's a lot of minerals inside, like iron oxide, and mostly calcium. When the water is going through the rock and soil, it dissolves the minerals, and makes a milky calcium carbonate solution, and drops here in the cave and starts our formations to grow. For example, right over there. So over here is our first formation. Okay. Soda straw stalactites. They're called soda straws because they are hollow from the inside, like a straw. You could actually drink out of them. They have a grow rate from 100 to 150 years per cubic inch. Oh, wow. The size of a small ice cube to grow. So this over there, right in the middle, is about 300 years old. Wow. When you give them enough time, they become this. Oh my goodness. Biggest stalactite in the whole cave, we call this the ear of corn. <laughs> or upside down cactus. Uh, a cucumber. It, has anyone done an estimate on how many years uh, it took? Yeah, a lot of people ask that. And it has an estimate scientific age of 1.4 million years. Wow. You see next to it was another one. And it was actually longer at some point. In the 1800s, there was a lot of souvenir hunting here in the cave. And we are going almost at the end of the tour up there to the Wilson Room. I can show you some other things where people harvested with chisels. Mm. All broken off. All for the greed. <laughs> so, our second formation. And again, they have a grow rate from 100 to 150 years per cubic inch. The size of a small ice cube. Our second formation starts to grow over here as little white dots. They're getting bigger and bigger. And at one point... It becomes this. This is a stalactite. A stalactite. Um, I always try to remember stalactite hangs tight from the ceiling. Stalactite might touch the ceiling one day. We call this our cave guardian. Some people say he has a face. I always say he looks like Jabba the Hutt from Star Wars. <laughs> Some people say he looks like the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland. There was a little boy said he looks like Santa Claus. Was right before Christmas, he was very desperate. <laughs> Stalactites grow a little bit faster than stalactites. They need 80 to 100 years per cubic inch to grow. When a stalactite and a stalagmite is growing together, then this formation has a pretty boring name. It's called a column. <laughs> this here is the biggest column in the whole cave. We call this the Tower of Baal. This has an estimated age of over 3 million years. Oh, wow. Fourth formation that we have in the caves, you see everywhere almost on the wall, this is filled stone. Over here it looks like an icing on a cake or just like snow. I would not recommend to eat it. First of all, it's forbidden. Second, tasting pretty awful, I think. And third, yeah, you have to make pretty fast an appointment with your dentist. <laughs> so, flowstone is our fastest growing formation. Flowstone needs about 35 to 50 years per cubic inch to grow. So it needs minimum half a human life for a cubic inch, this little bit to grow. And kids can't process it. When you are seven, eight years old, you can't process this. And that's why I'm like, if I touch you, little boy or little girl, in the group, this is like a, a good thing like to learn from them always. Like, and you would stop to grow. Do you want that? 
<laughs> Especially with the German accent, kids are not that trustworthy sometimes, or they're out of control sometimes. But again, it's pretty good. Do you have any questions? Oh. So I wonder, like, do you have um, photos so you can track within the past, you know, 40 or 50 years how much things have 50 changed? 50 years, one cubic inch. Like this a little bit. Like, can you can you see like a picture from like 1975 and look up there and, and see a noticeable difference? No. Not not really. No, not at all. Like you could probably with modern science, you know, laser measurements and everything, you could track some things, but not visible to the naked eye. People though. asking us, like a lot of people asking us, if you make like like time lapse things here, like seeing the glory. Who wants to collect the data for the next 40, 50 years? <laughs> we need a pretty big server up there and everything. So it would be interesting, definitely. And I'm pretty sure that some people are doing this, but we don't. It's funny, like we are more a showcase than like a really scientific. Just for, like from seeing it when when I was a kid to now, and just my perception is so different. Like it just seems so overwhelmingly. The part of my grandma is way way smaller than I thought. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, when I was a kid, this place seemed huge. Yeah, it seemed yeah. like it took forever and it was huge, and it just now you can kind of get... It's still impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 it's no, not no, impressive. I, yeah, it's not <laughs> I totally understand that, 100%. There's a lot of people coming in, like, I was here in third grade on a field trip. This uh -huh. was 35 years ago. Yeah, exactly. It's way smaller than I saw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But again, you're a kid, this is like a different dimension. All your imagination places you and everything. You're having stories in your head. All right, let's go a little bit further. We switch this off. We are going over here in this camera. So this here is called the Blue Room. Called the Blue Room because of the blue-grayish limestone up there. This is the driest room in the whole cave. Water is going the way of the least, re least resistance always. Water is channeling under this bridge here. And this is almost the wettest place in the whole cave. You hear everywhere dropping here all the time. You see puddles over there. So we have a good, when we have kids here, sometimes adults are enjoying that too. We are saying we have a saying down in the cave, one drip on your head. Is one year of good luck, one drip on your nose, five years of good luck. If you go to the shoulder, I'm sorry to say, you've got a bad shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go a little bit further. What you had up here? This is known as headache rock. So I notice you're turning the lights on and off as yeah. we go. This is uh, mostly to conserve uh, electricity. Okay. And also we want to preserve the cave as good as we can because if there's no light, there's no plants growing. Gotcha. And we have a lot of plants growing here. The whole two, two and a half months when we were closed in the COVID situation, mm -hmm. I could see a totally difference from the formations, how they looked, how the plant life was more developed or less developed here and there. Definitely. Just because the cave is right now, or like I would say, like a month ago, or whatever, when we mm -hmm. reopened up, in a better state than 50 years ago. Oh wow! Definitely. Wow. Because the last 50 years, there were not that much time. Two and a half months, no tours down here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this here is called the dead end room. It's a dead end. In this room, we can experience something really cool. Are you scared in the dark? Yeah. <laughs> I can switch all the lights off. Yeah, let's do it. Black. Let's do it. Are you ready for that? Yes. Yeah. All right. 
three, two, one. Nothing. Wow. Can't see the finger on your nose. Hand in front of your face. Nothing. You never get to be in that kind of complete Exactly. No. Because there's always the sky, there's always the moon, there's always an LED from a power cord in our rooms. Now imagine you're coming with 25 kids inside from a <laughs> first grade on a field trip. <laughs> and 10 of them have blinking shoes on. I mean, even, <laughs> even at night you have starlight. You know, just even yeah. starlight makes a lot of light. Exactly. That's why you see the stars better in a rural area because there's not so much lights around right. in the city. It's like reflection. It's funny though, I feel like I'm seeing things, but I'm not. You know, this is imagination, probably. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think it's like the residual of the lights. Yeah, yeah. like, of course, there's some rest things in us left. Mm -hmm. Now imagine the first explorers were on here and only had lanterns like this. We are living in the 21st century, we're having flashlights. Right. And as I told you, 1,700 light bulbs. <laughs> I didn't tell you this in the beginning, sorry. <laughs> okay. About a thousand seven hundred light bulbs we have here inside. Oh, that many. Yeah. And it's still that dark in here. <laughs> it's a big cave. Yeah. I mean, of course, we don't put the lights. We could make it more lighten up, but then it would not look that good because it's you know the shadows. Everything is playing. Oh with. yeah. Yeah. So this landslide that you see down here came down at one point, opened up a entrance up. And in the late 1800s, the Hobo Cave, was it, it was called, people came in here. We closed this up because at some point it was getting too dangerous. Mm. I had on my third week an older lady here. She was giggling when I talked about that kids were sneaking in the 50s because she was one of the kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's neat. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Thank, thank you for... I, mm. I, I read this like on Facebook, like that people like, oh, I, I used to play in this cave. Oh, wow. We don't want to get famous because someone dies here. Oh, I mean, sure. That yeah, promotion yeah. is promotion, but we want to go with a good promotion. So behind this rock and soil is another big room, almost as large as an Indian ballroom. But to open this up, we have to get permission. We have to get workers. We have to invest a lot of money. And we don't know what's happening with the stability of the cave after that. So, so far, no serious um, interest, not, no, no serious attempts to go behind there, but they made echo measurements here, they used uh, sonar, sound waves, and they know that there's a room back there. So nobody's tried to spelunk no. back in through there? No. And of course, everybody thinks, ha, huh, that's the opening. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Are there any other um, entrances at any other point, or it's just the no. main entrance? It's just the en this entrance. This was another entrance again. But everything is closed just for security sure. situations. And where are we in relation? We to are the right now. When you go out over there, and about a hundred feet, then you're on the train tracks. Oh wow! Yeah. So we so over there is the Swatara Creek. In the um, Indian ballroom, when you go from the Indian ballroom into the blue room under the bridge, there is a house that I was talking about. Okay. So about a hundred feet. Wow. All right. You want to take the lead? We are going back to the Indian ballroom. Make a slightly right turn. And then I will introduce you to our best employee, our Sampong. <laughs> that was Leaves. Over here we have four more stair steps to go. And then we see my beautiful Facebook profile picture. The most pictured thing in the whole cave. Oh, yes. The beautiful crystal lake. 
Not named after Jason Voorhees. <laughs> Friday, is it Friday 13th? Yeah. I'm not really good at this kind of movies. So this is Crystal Lake, called Crystal Lake because the water is crystal clear. Crystal Lake is about five feet deep in the back right now. And uh, the water has about a temperature from 48, 49 degrees. Warm or cold, whatever you prefer. This tunnel we are walking through is 100% man-made. You see everywhere dynamite drain holes. This was all blasted out because behind the corner you will see something really pretty. So is this what was done in the 20s? This was in the mid-20s, 30s, when the family beaver prepared the cave for the tourism. Welcome to the wedding chapel. This is called the wedding chapel because people actually get married. Three, four people get married every year here in this area. Three to four people are choosing the Indian ballroom in front of the cave, somewhere else on the property, because we can have a bigger audience. Maybe you want to have more than 20 people on your wedding. Maybe not. Everybody has different numbers. Is there any wildlife that was here naturally in the cave? And is there bats, any currently? Bats? bats were for a long time here inside. Like I asked, I talked with a lot of people, former tour guides, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. People are saying like, oh, 30 years ago, bats were flying around here. I never saw a bat here. I had two birds on my tours in the Indian ballroom. Everybody is freaking out. This is vampire bats, they will eat, they will suck out my blood, the mighty chupacabra. <laughs> and um, yeah, like um, there is a disease called the white nose syndrome. Mm -hmm. We yeah. don't know if it's this circumstance, if we bother them, or if just the whole, um, yeah, if it was too much decimated at some point. Mm. So at the end of this canyon, around... The, uh, around uh, the corner, there's a little opening about the size of a watermelon, and this rock back there is hollow from the inside. So this is where bats were hibernating, but not living here inside, because they were only coming here inside for hibernating. Ah. They were sleeping outside in the trees mm -hmm. and taking care of all the mosquitoes. Right on. Thank you, bats. <laughs> Watch your step, and we are going all the way back to the Indian ballroom. Over there, our third and last body of water, the beautiful Mirror Lake. Called Mirror Lake because when you're standing right over here, looking down on the water, it's all reflecting. You see the whole formation in front, on oh, top, yeah. everything mirroring on, on the top. Wonderful. On the surface. This is, in my opinion, this here, this angle here between the two columns, it's the best picture of the okay? My personal thing. <laughs> so, see that rock? Yeah. What do you see when you look at it? Spiral. Yeah. <laughs> what are the odds? What are the odds of that? Hundred percent if it happens to us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we are standing pretty close to our stalactites right now, and as I mentioned. There's a lot of passages that are damaged. This was all broken off 1700s when people were doing souvenir hunting in the cave. We are not breaking this off anymore because otherwise we are going to prison. This here is all protected by the government, like really serious. And I actually see me more as a protector of the cave than actually a tour guide. All this talking, entertaining, this is just going natural with me, meanwhile. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this was all broken off. They had chisels, just broken this off. And a stalactite needs, for a cubic inch, 100 to 150 years. Wow. So, 
When you come back in a thousand, thousand five hundred years, this will be maybe grown back. <laughs> you see all the stalactites, the, the soda straws, are popping out here. So they are coming back. Nature is always coming back. Yeah. The Wilson Room, named after William Wilson, the Pennsylvania hermit. He was living here. You want to have the whole story, right? Sure, yeah. The yeah, whole story. For it. So, in 1802, he decided to live here inside because there was a tragedy. Came into this area? Some people figured, uh, pointed out, here's a cave, you can be alone here, and he moved here. He slept up, up there for 19 years, from 1802 to 1821. Because, you know, it's a strategic good place to live. You are pretty much safe from wildlife, and when the cave floods, you have a little bit of speed here and there. He was going up and down there with a rope ladder attached to the stalagmite. You can still see the impressions from the rope here around the snow. Oh, wow. Here are campfires like this to heat some water, heat some food, not that much more. And um, he was working for a farm the whole 19 years, right over the creek, to get some additional food, some clothing, everything that he couldn't get from the Swatara Creek, from the forest. In 1821, he didn't show up for work one day. That was unusual for him because he was a very, um, yeah, very good worker. You know, you could trust him. The good work ethic. He was Pennsylvania Dutch. He was Pennsylvania <laughs> Dutch. <laughs> Didn't want to mention this again. Um, and uh, yeah, like the father was concerned, came into the cave and found him passed away. So we think that he passed away on tuberculosis. Because when you make longer than 45 minutes, a, uh, a fire here inside, this whole cave here, will this whole room here will fill up with smoke. Here is no vent. And he was sleeping up there. So he was in his mid-50s when he passed away. That's a proud age for the 1800s. There was no penicillin. CVS was not created so far. So, um, yeah, we think that he died on a lung disease like tuberculosis, something like that. He was a very religious person. He prayed a lot. And when he was up there, he wrote everything down in a journal. And this journal is in Harrisburg. The original one is in Harrisburg in a, a museum. We have samples of this. We have little tiny um, copies of that upstairs in the gift shop and the internet is big and you can research a lot the black is from his fires yeah i'm pretty sure yes there's soot up there where he obviously had a candle when he slept or land see it up there in the, in the little alcove oh, okay. yeah could be he probably had a lantern or, a, or a something that he put there. Well, just a little candle. Yeah. Just I'm a little fire, some glimpsing. Probably more like a lantern or a candle. Yeah. Probably what he had. You can see that. You see this? Have, have you been up there? No. <laughs> I don't know how it looks like. Yeah. Like even it is and everything. That's, and yeah. This, that's here, for example, came down from up here. Oh, a long, long time ago. The ceiling looks like this because... 10,000 years ago, scientifically, the last ice age, it was not 52 degrees here inside. There was permafrost. And when the, when, before the permafrost came, the cave was already you know, developed, like right. almost, almost like this. There was everywhere water in the stone, in the ceiling. And water expands when it's freezing. Crap. So there was actually natural blasting up there. And you see everywhere like these little plates on top, everywhere in the cave. This remnant of... of uh, this was not here. Okay. This is just for... Show, for yeah, this yeah. is show. Yeah. But that's definitely where he had his fire. I'm pretty sure. You can, 
Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Maybe he actually started or tried to heat up this year to have a warm bag. But I think this was not possible with a little fire. Yeah. And maybe this was actually his death. Like as he tried and make too much smoke. I think if, if the smoke wasn't going to leave, so what he'll probably do is just use that for cooking or when he had to be warm. Because if the smoke would build up and he's sleeping up there, yeah. you get carbon monoxide. Yeah, you, it would choke him out. Yeah. So I'm almost guaranteed that was just for cooking or whatever when he couldn't cook outside. Yeah. When it was when it was winter time. Yeah. Because obviously he'd do most of the cooking right. outside in the summer. But he definitely had a candle up there to tell it. This is our way out. One last time, what you had up there, I'm right behind you guys. So William Wilson lives in this cave. I love the climate of that cave. I mean, I'm sure it gets a little damp sometimes, but temperature-wise, on a hot summer day, and I think we've only ever gone when it's been hot in the summer. I don't think we've ever gone when it hasn't been. No, it's always been sort of an adjunct part of either going to, like, Hershey Park or going to, like, a medical appointment up there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's always been hot, and you go in the cave, and it's just natural air conditioning, this perfect temperature. It's lovely. I think you had a sweater on. I actually had a sweatshirt on in the cave. But in any case, this this hermit lives there, but he's he's seeing people. He's working on a nearby farm, according to the folks at Indian Echo. And my suspicion is that's where he was for the intervening years, and until he found this spot. I think in the other story it says that he makes mill wheels, which is consistent with him being a stonecutter. Yeah. He's probably seeing people sometimes. Mm-hmm. But generally, he's alone, it sounds like. He's trying to heal that wound that'll never heal. And eventually, uh, he does he not show up for work? Is that what happens? Yeah, the people that have regular contact with him come to check on him and find him dead in his little bunk above where the fire is in the cavern. He wasn't really that old. I mean, <laughs> for uh, contemporary standards, 59, I don't see as that old. It doesn't uh, seem that old to doesn't me. doesn't seem that old. But, uh, but hey, for the time, that's for the early, early 1800s. This is a pretty good run. So ends the life of William Wilson, the Pennsylvania Hermit, and you can go see Indian Echo Caverns. You can see where he stayed. It's a wonderful tour. It's a great place to visit. Check him out. I'll put links in the show notes. The one thing that I think is interesting is that there really is, this is all basically her payment for sins that had nothing to do with the murder. Yeah. She paid with her life for being a woman of ill repute or that's, a woman who has children it. out of wedlock. That's and pretty much it. And it doesn't seem like there's any sort of attempt to find this guy and have him pay for the actual crime. It's almost like, well, someone paid with her life for it. So I think the matter is pretty much settled <laughs> now. <laughs> that's horrible. Well, back to the cave and the surrounding areas. There is, of course, a lot of strange stuff in the area, including some Bigfoot sightings, including a mystery box that was found in the cave that had several strange things in it, including an alchemical formula, how to make diamonds using lightning. We'll hear about all of that and some other strangeness in surrounding areas around the cave on the next episode, which will be for our patrons. You can hear about masons in the cave, 
There's some graffiti I've been trying to figure out who it belonged to. and There'll be a little bit more uh, recordings from the cave that I save for the next episode and all of our stories of the strangeness surrounding it. That's going to be for patrons. You can hear it by becoming a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Well, unfortunately, photographs weren't invented at the time William Amos Wilson was around. Nope. No hope of uh, seeing a photograph of him. Nope. Although I do have a drawing that's reproduced in that old pamphlet that I will use for the image for this episode. So what are we going to do for photo of the week? Well, I found a photo of a guy who has the same sort of wily good looks that maybe John DeShong did in luring Harriet away from her morality into the carnal world of sin. <laughs> yeah, it's just a guy on a tin type actually. Just a guy on a tin type. But that was a big hype. That was yeah, a good hype, yeah, right? Yeah. He could be rakish. Or yes. he could just be a nice dude. Yeah, he could be. I don't know. He has some um fabulously mussed up hair, which I really like. Yeah, and he he looks serious. He, looks, he does. Looks he looks serious. serious but he has a dandyish edge to him. A little, yeah, a little bit of a dandy. Yeah, I know I you it. like the dandies. I love dandies. I know you like the dandies. So this is a tin type photograph which We've talked about before. They're not tin. They're made on thin sheets of iron. That's why you can attach a magnet to the back of them. And these were made roughly the years tin types were made? I mean, it just is a good rule of thumb, sort of Civil War era, but they, they go all the way from a little bit preceding that all the way up into like the 1930s in a souvenir context. But their heyday if it is easy to remember of like sort of starting around the Civil War. Um, my guess from this guy's outfit is that he would be around that time i'd say a little later i'm thinking he's more i'm thinking 1870s because he's got a real they made like chocolate tin types in the 1870s which have a real warmth to him and he had i think he's it's it's almost like a chocolate tin type so i'm i'm gonna guess 1870s so i'm off by 10 years yeah <laughs> but i could be wrong as well <laughs> that's my most educated guess Close enough for me, I know, as a photo nerd, not close enough for you. So. This, you know, if I bring up some sort of, like, Marvel Universe thing, please correct me. I know I'm going to be wrong. So this Two is... episodes in a row, we got to go into my Marvel nerddom. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with this. So if you go to the show notes at strangefamiliars.com, under this episode, you'll see an image of this handsome fella. You can click on that. It'll take you to our Etsy shop. Entirely one of a kind. You're never going to find another picture of this man ever again. $25 starts a nice little photo collection for you and helps support the podcast as well. Speaking of our Etsy shop, I put a ton of artwork up there in all different price ranges from $20 on up to a few hundred dollars. Original artwork for me, I try to have a range of prices so people can, can get stuff. I've got original art from my fourth book, Don't Look Behind You. I think the last piece from Bigfoot, West Coast Wild Man, my third book, sold today. So I think we're down to Don't Look Behind You if you want a piece of original art and a signed book with it. But there are lots of little pieces of art for Don't Look Behind You, so there's some opportunities to get some inexpensive pieces. So keep an eye on that Etsy shop, shop name Lost Grave. We'll be adding more artwork as things go on here. Thanks, everybody, for your support. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. DarkHollerArts.com. 
Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars Gathering Group. And we're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.